everybody. It's Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and this podcast is about all the stuff I couldn't fit in the book. It's about the important conversations that I think we all need to be having and information I want all parents to know so we can come together for the greater good of our children, but also in support of each other. And if there's ever a time in life where women are more vulnerable and yet strong, resilient, determined, it's during their pregnancies and births and motherhood, especially the early years. And yet, even though I would bet that every one of us comes into parenthood with probably a few bad habits and a bit of life history behind us, we seem to have these unrealistic expectations that all parents are supposed to be perfect. And if not perfect, then at least above the law, especially mothers. In my mind, it seems like dads can get away with a little bit more shit than women can. Um, Maybe I'm wrong about that. And if so, please email me and we can have that conversation. But for women, um, especially during pregnancy, it's as if we need to flip a switch from being the woman that we used to be to being the perfect mother. And some states make that a whole lot harder than others. And that's what today's podcast is about. It's about when laws make it too difficult for mothers to get the help they need to be their healthiest and to be good moms. So there's one chapter in my book, and I think that I have read this um, on on the podcast before. So if I have, forgive me, but I think it's really relevant to our conversation today. And this section, it barely made it in the book. My publishers thought that it probably wasn't relevant to most pregnant women, but I pushed back a bit and said, yeah, it is. There are a lot of women out there who are in very fragile and vulnerable situations. A lot. Um, The chapter is called Pregnancy and Parenting for Women with History. And I want to read that here. Um, It's not too long. Bear with me. Pregnancy and Parenting for Women with History, Getting Real About Custody, Child Welfare, Drug Addiction, Domestic Violence, and Homelessness. There is no such thing as a perfect mother. Nobody has ever made it through life without screwing up in some minor or major way. We're human, and our personal histories accompany us into motherhood, even the incidences we're not entirely proud of. Maybe we partied too hard or grew up surrounded by violence or angry parents. Maybe we got involved with the wrong guy, or hung out with wild friends and did stuff we wish we hadn't. Maybe we were just normal women and nothing we ever did was a problem before we became pregnant. That's when everything changes. Suddenly, being a normal, wild, messed up, or hard partying woman isn't okay anymore. Suddenly, we're mothers in a society that has a limited standard for what constitutes good motherhood. Just because some women don't stand under that very small umbrella that covers our society's definition of good motherhood doesn't mean they're not good mothers. Virtually all women love their children fiercely and want what's best for them. However, for some, circumstances have left them vulnerable. In the United States, few mothers are guaranteed all the financial, emotional, employment, and childcare support they need to be the best mothers possible. And some vulnerable mothers get very little support at all. There are services out there to help with addiction, unemployment, homelessness, and violence, but in such limited supply that many women living in desperate, disadvantaged circumstances can't access them. What we need is a bigger umbrella that covers all mothers, even those who are less than perfect. 
one that recognizes we all need support, not judgment. If we do better at taking care of all mothers, then mothers can do better taking care of their children. What should you do if you're at risk and need help to be a good mother? One, whatever is making you vulnerable, fix it as best you can. Two, ask for help. Legal, emotional, financial, residential, educational. Getting help starts with reaching out. Three, access parenting support classes. Four, if you're in danger, find safety, a shelter or sanctuary. Five, build your community of supportive, solid people who can help you raise your children well. Six, tell your story. The more women share their experiences, the bigger the umbrella that covers us all. Finally, don't judge other mothers. None of us is perfect. We're all just doing the best we can. Some of us just have more to work with or work on than others. So that's that section. And, you know, I, I read that section sometimes when I'm, I'm, you know, doing a book reading. And I can just see faces soften in the audience as women either recognize a little bit of themselves or they realize that, yeah, they too looked at certain mothers with a lot of judgment and maybe didn't recognize immediately that, honestly, they got it hard enough. Let's cut them some slack. And I'm talking about this this week because there's some shit going down in Tennessee that's so appalling to me that I wanted to share it with all of you in hopes that, I don't know, maybe through our collective support, we can make some changes in the way women and specifically mothers are treated in America. And I want to get someone on the line who's working really hard on this very subject. Let's get Allison Glass. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for talking to us today on the podcast all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we've got some important things to talk about. You know, I think that what I want to do first of all is... Um, I want to talk about your bio. I want to give it a read, and then you can kind of explain anything that needs to be explained. Um, Allison Glass first got connected to reproductive freedom after the home birth of her son as a young single woman. She now serves as the state director of Healthy and Free Tennessee, where she leads a statewide coalition in shaping policy and fighting for reproductive freedom and sexual health. She has the honor and the challenge of working with educating, and mobilizing opposition to Tennessee's very, very red legislators who far too often work against the interests of women and families. Whew, that's a good one. That's a great bio. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, tell us, break that down for us. What is, what does this mean? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I feel like it really was through my own experience of becoming uh, a mother. Um, I was, you know, pregnant when I was 21, gave birth when I was 22. And um, it was really through that experience that I really, um, you know, entered into this world and realized I had a very empowering um, pregnancy and um, birthing experience, uh, even though um, I, I there was definitely some already some challenges with my son's father. Um, but I had this amazing midwife um, in Boulder, and uh, she just really instilled um, so much confidence and empowerment um, in me. And I, you know, left that experience just feeling like, oh, my gosh, it's I want all people who would want to access um, 
you know, this type of, of birth and this type of care to be able to. Like, this should not only be um, available for privileged people who can, you know, basically pay out of pocket um, for this kind of um, care during birth. And so that's really how I entered this work. Um, and then, you know, also it was a very small jump to then realize that just like I wanted to have full um, decision-making power and autonomy over my birthing experience, um, that all people deserve to have that same experience over whatever decisions they're making um, regarding their, you know, reproductive and, and sexual health. Um, so that's really how I, I came to, uh, you know, first get connected with this work and um, and with Helping Free Tennessee. Um, we're a, a statewide coalition uh, made up of um, organizations and individuals, um, but I was really drawn to it because it very much embodies um, a really you know, intersectional and comprehensive view of the issues and really was founded so that we could make connections between, you know, thinking about bodily autonomy um, and how we make all of those connections between, you know, birthing justice issues and abortion access. And we're, we're about to start working um, around issues related to HIV decriminalization, um, for example, right? Comprehensive sex ed, like all of these issues um, are so interconnected for us because they are interconnected in our lives. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I started doing the work. We have a pretty, um, a pretty national audience, even international. And, you know, Tennessee is a very, very conservative state. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is, I mean, we're so liberal, we couldn't really get any more liberal. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to start off with talking about you know, what are the main issues that pregnant women in Tennessee face? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, we are one of the states that did not expand Medicaid. Um, and then um, our Republican governor came up with, you know, his privatized version that he was, well, that he really didn't try to pass, actually. Um, and so our, our legislature, you know, hasn't even passed that. So, you know, I, I feel like that's where we have to start is that we're in a state that won't even um, allow people to access health care. Um, there's, you know, 280,000 people in Tennessee um, that currently are in the gap of um, not being able to access um, the health care that they need. So it's an incredibly hostile um, environment for, you know, in so many aspects. Um, we also had a big loss in um, 2014 of a ballot initiative that opened up our state constitution to allow all of the um, abortion restrictions that we're seeing in other places um, in our country. Um, so prior to that, um, Tennessee actually, you know, we're one of those southern states that we care very much supposedly about our privacy rights and things. Um, and our state constitution was actually, uh, actually guaranteed people um, more privacy protection than um, what was at the federal level. Um, but they, uh, the, you know, far-right Republicans have gotten voted into office, and um, they wrote a constitutional amendment specifically saying that our state constitution does not allow for um, privacy in regards to abortion. Um, so now we are seeing in 2015, um, and again some this year, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of the state-based um, trap laws, um, abortion restrictions that um, are prevalent across, um, in some places across the country. 
So some um, of then, some of my yeah. listeners are going to be wondering, you know, if this is a pregnancy and parenting podcast, why are we talking so much about abortion? And my take on that is because we know that when women um, can't get the healthcare services they need, including safe and legal abortion, they may resort to some pretty desperate measures. And we know that unsafe illegal abortion is one of the leading causes of um, maternal death and disability. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also, you know, we're seeing uh, a trend in our country of um, people who are choosing to carry their pregnancies to term uh, being prosecuted. Um, So, you know, you know, there was a really um, Purvi Patel in Indiana was just sentenced to 20 years in prison. Um, because she suffered a miscarriage. So it's a it's a very scary precedent that we're starting to see. Okay. Where, um, you're you're going to have yeah. to explain that a little bit. What? What? Okay. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, Pervi Patel um, was a woman in, in Indiana, and, um, and she suffered a, um, a miscarriage. Um, but under Indiana's um, feticide laws, which were originally created to protect pregnant women um, from things like, you know, domestic violence and Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we're seeing that these laws that were first created to protect pregnant women um, are actually being used against them to protect, you know, their fetus Mm -hmm. that they're carrying. Mm -hmm. Um, So Pervy Patel had a, had a miscarriage um, and she was um, prosecuted and has now been um, convicted for that. On what um, basis? You know, Why was she prosecuted? If it was, was it a self-induced miscarriage? There is not um, evidence showing that there that um, that it was self-induced, um, but that is what um, prosecutors are saying that she did try to, you know, enter on pregnancy. Um, but you know. So we're, you know, we're not sure. But what yeah. we do know is that, um, you know, she um, tried to get help, <clears throat> tried to go to a hospital, um, and, uh, and and is now going to serve a 20-year sentence. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, there was a case actually here in Tennessee of a woman um, named Anna Yoka, who, again, we, we don't really know details um, around her case. But um, she did try to um, self-induce um, an, uh, a termination. Um, you know, obviously, having, for whatever reasons, um, some real desperation and, and some real, um, you know, challenges around what she was facing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, I feel like what's really important is that instead of meeting people's you know, real health care needs, whether they're, um, you know, physical or their mental health needs, or um, like I, I know that we're going to be talking about around um, substance abuse um, and those types of needs, instead of doing that through a public health lens, um, what we're seeing in this country is that we're doing it through criminalization. Hmm. And there is this very strong um, desire to use punishment. Um, and very punitive measures to say, you know, you are a bad person and what you did is wrong and therefore you need to get punished for it. 
Um, whereas, and, and you're going to stand this example cases, to all these other women. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So let's right. <laughs> let's talk about HR Bill sixteen hundred. Tell us about that. Yes. Yes. So um, Tennessee uh, in two thousand fourteen. Um, well, first I guess I'll back up a little bit. Um, you know, we know that across the nation, a lot of places in our country are um, really seeing uh, an epidemic around opiate use. Yeah. Um, and so when a pregnant woman um, uses opiates, um, she can, when she gives birth, uh, the baby can be born with um, neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, a lot of people know that as NAS. And that's a condition that a baby can be born with um, when they're exposed to opiates in the womb. Um, what we know is that it is a temporary and treatable condition. And that what the mom needs and what the baby needs is, is health care. <laughs> Again, right? Um, so just like, you know, when any woman um, gives birth, um, the baby needs, you know, skin-to-skin contact, right, and to be held. And, um, to, you know, that transition is um, a, a difficult one, you know, for babies, you know, anywhere. Um, but with this kind of condition, it's even more um, important. And so, again, what we're seeing is um, a trend across the country to um, deal with this issue of, of opiate use um, with punitive measures. Um, and so Tennessee had seen um, a very large increase of opiate use across the state um, and a very large increase of babies being born exposed to opiates. And so um, they um, actually, the first thing that they did was um, because the majority of babies that are born um, in our state with NAS are two women who are using prescription narcotics. Mm -hmm. So they have had, you know, uh, um, some kind of injury and they're taking pain meds. Um, and, um, and that can cause our babies to be born with NAS. Um, and so the first Tennessee did um, was to pass um, something called the Safe Harbor Act. And what it did is actually um, guaranteed that a woman who was using prescription drugs, if she sought treatment, that she um, would not have her child taken away from her. Um, so it was really encouraging. And Tennessee was really lifted up as an example of how to positively deal with this issue. Um, so that's what we did in 2013. Um, then in 2014, um, you know, as our lawmakers, I think, do pretty often, um, they just keep seeing a problem and feel like that they just keep passing you know, that they need to keep passing um, whatever laws they can to try to make it better. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, this law had only been on the books for, you know, less than a year. Um, and they um, wrote a new law for illegal narcotic use. So such as um, and in fact, such as somebody um, who has not been prescribed or perhaps they're using heroin or other yes, drugs. Right. Got it. Exactly. Got yes, it. Yes. Yes. So they don't have a legal prescription um, or, and, and it, it's so common, right, that people, um, they do have some kind of injury or they are prescribed um, narcotics for whatever reason. Um, they are so easy to get um, dependent on 
and then their prescription runs out and they, you know, try to get pills off the street. And then before they know it, they are using heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, heroin is less expensive sure. um, than trying to get prescription drugs. So um, Tennessee wrote this law and um, we were actually the first state in the country to, you know, create a brand new law trying to deal with this issue. Um, and what it says is that a woman could be prosecuted uh, for the illegal use of, of narcotics while she was pregnant if her child was born um, exposed to or harmed by the drug. And um, it was a, uh, a misdemeanor. Um, so it was supposedly um, simple assault. Um, and, and that's what they got it kind of um, reduced to. At first, lawmakers wanted it to be a felony conviction um, and um, lots of, of, you know, the Department of Health and the Department of um, um, Mental um, and, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, you know, the Mental Abuse Services mm-hmm. um, were really outraged because, you know, they understand that substance use is um, a disease, right? It's a public health issue, and they were very uncomfortable with this um, way of, of treating the issue in such a criminal nature. So um, they got the charge reduced to a misdemeanor, um, and then they also added um, what they call an affirmative defense, which says that if a woman um, completed a treatment program, that she could have the charge dropped off of her record. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there the law was written incredibly vaguely. Um, there was a clause in the code that said. Um, you know, this is uh, a woman could be charged for illegal use of narcotics or any unlawful act. So that opened up this law to include um, all kinds of things. Like actually a woman was arrested, a pregnant woman was arrested for not wearing her seatbelt. Um, a woman could have been charged under this law for getting into a car accident and it be deemed her fault. Um, so it was written incredibly vaguely and um, helping Free Tennessee, we got involved right as the law was um, actually just about to pass um, in 2014. We were contacted by um, the National Advocates for Pregnant Women, mm-hmm. um, who are an amazing organization that have been working on these issues, um, related issues for um, for decades. And um, so we had some conversations, you know, right as the law was about to pass, and we expressed our concerns about the language of the law, especially, and, and they told us, you know, well, we just have to trust the prosecutors um, to do what what is the intention of this law and to use it correctly, um, which, of course, <laughs> we uh, knew was going to be really problematic. Um, and unfortunately, you know, what we knew came to pass. Um, the other big problem with the law is, especially the um, affirmative defense piece, is that, you know, it says that if pregnant women accesses treatment, um, the charge could be dropped. Um but there is such a lack of treatment availability in Tennessee um, across the board. But specifically for pregnant women, um, there are only, um, to date, 12 residential detox programs across the state that will even accept pregnant women. And if they don't um, have so medical insurance, then essentially there is no treatment option. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we were contacted by women who they knew that this law um, was coming, and they said, you know, I've been trying to get into treatment. I keep getting rejected because 
um, they didn't have the right form of insurance or the treatment programs were not accepting pregnant women because, you know, Tennessee jumped to create this, this legislation, but we did not have, we still don't have a statewide protocol of how you actually treat pregnant women who are struggling with substance use. Um, and so a lot of our treatment facilities, um, don't understand how to, you know, help women, but, you know, also largely it's a fear of, um, of, of litigation, um, and of being liable for, um, for the woman's, you know, pregnancy if something did happen. Um, because this is a pretty new, um, thing that, that people are having to think about and, and figure out how to, um, help people around. So instead of, you know, helping people and expanding access and helping with education. Um, what our lawmakers did actually was was make a difficult situation um, much worse by um, this threat of incarceration. There is a um, kind of a, a, a story that is uh, on the press release that you sent around by a woman named Brittany. Is it okay if I read part of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Brittany writes, I was using drugs while I was pregnant with my daughter. I am not proud of that. I tried to get treatment and was told there was a waiting list. I called and called and was refused care by a bunch of facilities. Either they didn't have room or they didn't treat pregnant women. My mother even drove me across the state to try to get me into a program. Then I heard about the new law that would throw women into jail. I was terrified that I would lose my baby and be incarcerated. This just made it so much worse for me. I was afraid to ask for help and ended up giving birth to my baby on the side of the road, trying to avoid going to a hospital in Tennessee. I know firsthand how this law impacts women because I am one of the moms who got caught up in the criminal justice system because of this policy. I am clean now and parenting my daughter, but this experience made my recovery process that much harder. This is a disease and you have to treat it like a disease. Mothers need support and care. We need policies that focus on our health and the health of our children. We do not need judges, jails, and judgment. We don't need our faces in the newspaper articles that perpetuate myths about drug use and paint us as terrible and uncaring. When you throw someone behind bars for having a disease, you aren't treating them and you are not helping them or their kids. This law needs to go, and Tennessee lawmakers need to find ways to actually help people instead of just assuming the worst of us and keeping a law that treats mothers like criminals. That is heartbreaking. And it's yeah. it's something that I've been pretty familiar with. You know, in my career, um, I, I worked as a labor and delivery nurse for 20 years. And, you know, women would, they would try whatever they could to fly under the radar so that their drug use would go unnoticed. Um, Invariably, these were women that were living, they were living lives that were so challenging that it would blind average people to live their lives. Some of the traumas and, you know, situations that they were dealing with, it would floor us. I mean, it's intense. And so, you know, I w- I'm not going to justify it, but I'm going to say, you know, if I was facing all of the things, you know, the violence, the poverty, the stress, the, you know, just so many issues that women have to face. If I was facing all that, you know, I might be tempted to medicate too. 
And if you can't get health care and you can't get mental health care and you can't get social service support that actually, you know, validates you as a woman, you're going to do what you got to do to make yourself feel better. I mean, and again, that's right. not a justification, but I have so much compassion for, you know, what women have to deal with. And it, it, it was heartbreaking to me then and it remains heartbreaking that instead of reaching out to women and saying, let us make this better for you so that you can, you know, be the woman you're intended to be and that you and your children can reach your full potential. Instead, we toss them in jail and we, yeah. you know, yeah. paint, paint them out to be perps instead of parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. there is, there's so much stigma so um, much. around drugs drug using, you know, parents and mothers. Um, and, you know, Brittany is just so incredible. She is such a brave, strong woman um, who was so passionate about this issue um, because, you know, she lived through it. Um, and now she actually works in, uh, in Knoxville at a treatment facility that helps pregnant women. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she hears, you know, these women's stories, just like you're saying, you know, um, every day there are so many, you know, addiction is, is just the way, you know, she actually said, you know, people think that, that I would get high to just to get high. Right. And so, um, just have fun. And so whatever she's like, it's about trying to maintain some level of normalcy. Um, because you know, it, it's a sickness, right? It's a disease. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, there is, there is so much stigma around, um, you know, drug use and then saying, oh, well, then, you know, she does not deserve to be a mother um, when, you know, it couldn't have been farther from the truth. Right. Um, and, you know, regardless of if someone is in the throes of their addiction, um, then that, of course, is an incredibly challenging place to be. But, um, you know, and people that we've talked to who are um, treatment professionals, you know, say that um, no one you know, just wakes up and says, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm going to, you know, go be a heroin user um, while I'm pregnant. Um, like you're saying, there are so many other um, co-occurring disorders or other things that are um, really driving this person um, to to use drugs. Yeah. And so, you know, <coughs> there's me. also this, this real moment um, in this, you know, kind of period of time when a woman is pregnant and she does, you know, and if she is, um, struggling with substance use or dependency um, when, you know, there's kind of this window of opportunity because, you know, these are people who are carrying their pregnancies to term. They do want to be mothers. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's such an important time for them to, A, be getting prenatal care, um, the health care that they need, and then also to be able to, to give them treatment um, and that it can, it can be a real transformative time in someone's life where they really can um, deal with their dependency. Um, but what this law did was just like Brittany's story illustrates, um, is that it really drove women underground. Mm -hmm. Um, and it made them afraid, um, to be honest with their doctors. It made them afraid to go get prenatal care. Well, there's um, no greater to... threat to a woman than taking right. away her child. Exactly. You're exactly. Not just, and that yeah. is true. Yes, totally. And, and Brittany, you know, she, um, and I feel like I can share this because she has shared it publicly. Um, 
you know, after she gave birth um, to her daughter and her daughter was taken away, you know, she tried to, to kill herself. She tried to take her own life because she was so incredibly, you know, just terrorized by that. Yeah. Um, by thinking that she wasn't going to be able to be a mother to her child. Um, so, you know, again, just making a, a bad situation so much worse um, and, Is- and dealing with a disease through, you know, such a punitive approach. So I've got a couple questions that are kind of interrelated. Why is there such a hostile um, atmosphere regarding drug treatment versus incarceration? And two, is there any evidence that incarceration is an effective tool for treating drug abuse? Yeah. Um, You know, I think that, you know, why do we want to punish people? I mean, I think that we've been talking about it, right, is that... um, Overall, I think that our our culture is one that we really, um, we are such a punitive um, society. You know, we see a problem and we feel like, oh, well, they need to be punished for that. Um, But no, incarceration, um, people get almost no drug treatment um, in prisons, uh, certainly in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, you know, Brittany talks about being incarcerated and she um, was, was detoxing while she was incarcerated. Um, which is a life-threatening um, condition, um, much you know, similarly as if a woman is pregnant. It is not safe for mm-hmm. her fetus, for her to just go you know, cold turkey um, off of um, narcotics that she's been using. Mm-hmm. So um, certainly, you know, jail is not an effective place um, to get um, treatment. And... Um, you know, and, and then also, like Brittany's story shows, you know, she tried to get treatment while she was pregnant, right. um, and it was not accessible. So, you know, the people who um, who advocated for this law, you know, the, the sponsors of it, um, and people who supported it said, you know, this is not about um, throwing, throwing women in jail. This is like a velvet hammer, is, is what they said, mm-hmm. um, but it was like a carrot stick that they had to use for these um, these, you know, terrible women who all they think about is their next fix. And we have to have this threat of incarceration for them to, um, to get clean. Um, so, you know, in, in a way you can see, right, like what their intention is. Um, but I think that it also shows how dangerous it is for um, our legislators and, and lawmakers to be creating policy um, you know, substance use and and dependency is such a complicated issue with so many layers. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can see how misguided their thinking was. Um, In fact, you know, the the law itself is called, they called it actually um, in in the description of the code, um, the born addicted law. And it talks about babies who are born addicted. Well, that is a scientifically and medically inaccurate term Mm-hmm. A baby cannot be born addicted because to say that someone is addicted, it's like the act of going out and seeking drugs, mm-hmm. um, and a baby can't do that. <laughs> but right. it's it's the same kind of inflammatory um, language that um, was really prevalent in the 80s during like the crack baby epidemic. Sure. Um, and so there was, you know, that is when the the war on drugs. Um, really started in our country, and we passed all kinds of of um, such extreme punitive laws 
Um, and now we know that a lot of the um, information that these laws were based from were scientifically inaccurate. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're finding the same thing around um, opiate use and around NAS. You know, people are saying, oh, babies die from, from NAS and um, it has, you know, long-term developmental consequences. Um, and, and that's just not scientifically accurate. So I think that that is um, part of the a really scary thing that we're seeing is, you know, lawmakers creating these types of laws um, without the real uh, medical knowledge um, right. that should be taken into consideration, obviously, when, when passing this type of um, policy. We see so many um, examples of authoritarian rule. We're going to make the law and we're going to make sure that women comply. We're going to right. vilify women. Um, we're not going to look at them as complex human beings that have issues and challenges that need to be supported and faced. We're going to, they're the bad guys. They're the bad, bad mothers who are taking drugs because they want to injure their babies. And I have met hundreds, hundreds of mothers that maybe would fall under that umbrella for them. And actually they're women, they're mamas, mm -hmm. they're women who have had right. tough lives. They're women who made some mistakes or maybe didn't, um, and right. they're women. They're doing the best that they can with very, very few resources and a whole lot of fear heaped on them. It's yeah. cru it's cruel is what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a few years back, the National Women's Law Center gave Tennessee a failing grade in terms of health care. And some of the issues they faced were, as you mentioned, low access to prenatal care, um, low rates of insurance coverage, harmful practices regarding abortion, high rates of chronic disease like hypertension and diabetes. Has anything improved? And what's your take on why Tennessee has these problems? Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, no, I, I don't think that um, our health outcomes have improved. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, we haven't for those things to have improved, people would have to be able to access um, real comprehensive health care. Right. And um, like I mentioned, you know, we didn't expand Medicaid. We aren't doing things um, currently to make sure that people can access uh, the, the resources um, and, and support that they need. Um, you know, Memphis in particular has um, some of the highest um, infant and maternal mortality rates. Um, in the country. So, um, you know, and there's, there's so many initiatives and there's so many, um, you know, government programs and, and state-sponsored programs, you know, to fight um, infant mortality and things like that. Um, but for people to not be able to see the connection mm -hmm. between these types of punitive policies and, um, and, and those, you know, really devastating rates um, of negative health care, um, that's you know, quite problematic. How big an issue is poverty for pregnant women and mothers in Tennessee? Um, I, I mean, it's absolutely a, a, a huge problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know that actually this law really came out of um, out of Memphis. Um, our district attorney was one who really pushed for this law. Um, and we know that Memphis is one of the poorest cities in our country. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we know that uh, the women that this law has impacted um, are all low-income women across our state. Um, in Memphis, they were majority women of color, mm-hmm. um, but in other places across our state, um, they were all low-income women. Yeah. So, um, again, like you're saying, you know, someone who is already facing um, so many challenges in their lives, to have this on top of everything else, um, actually had had really dire um, consequences. Um, you know, we got data from a um, the East Tennessee Children's Hospital um, in Knoxville, and it showed that since this law went into effect, there was a threefold increase of NICU admittances where the mother had received no prenatal care. Hmm. So yeah. you know, for for a state that you know, says that we care so much about, about families and about pregnant women and, um, and we're, you know, trying to deter women from seeking abortion um, in so many ways. Uh, for them to have, you know, passed this law that has that kind of outcome um, for mothers and for babies um, is, is just really, uh, really unfortunate. Yeah. So, you know, gonna, I want to wrap up our conversation with a couple of other questions. Um, so how do the challenges faced in Tennessee and the lessons that you're learning from, from, you know, the passage of HR Bill 1600, how do you think that they relate to women in other states and to U.S. policy in general? Yeah, well, you know, we do know, um, although Tennessee was the first state to create a, a specific law addressing this problem, um, we do know that, you know, many other states are using already existing laws. Um, again, laws that were created to protect pregnant women, they're using them now against um, the, the pregnant woman herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that, um, like in Alabama, there has been a huge number of prosecutions, um, again, about substance use um, and dependency. Um, but they're using, you know, child abuse laws and chemical endangerment um, and things like that. Also in South Carolina, um, actually in North Carolina, um, women from Tennessee were crossing, like, you know, Brittany mentioned, um, were crossing the, the state line um, to try to go in, and give birth uh, in North Carolina to avoid prosecution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the North Carolina legislature, legislature, um, tried to create, they said, oh, you know, well, we're having the same problem, so we should create a, you know, they tried to create a mirror law um, of Tennessee's. Um, Fortunately, North Carolina has an incredible infrastructure of advocates who um, really understand these issues and were able to um, stop that law very quickly. Um, But there are several other states who have um, tried to introduce laws similar to Tennessee's um, or, um, as I mentioned, they're using other already existing law um, to do the same thing. So we are really hoping that um, we did a lot of work um, to educate people in our state, you know, lawmakers, uh, but also just the public um, about the issue, because um, it's one that, you know, there, there really is um, so many families and communities are struggling um, with substance use and, and dependency. Um, and it's a really important thing for people to um, to understand um, specifically with, you know, this population of, of pregnant women um, who 
you know, really need, uh, you know, healthcare um, in, in such an important ways. Um, but we feel like it, it's really important that we were able to um, do a lot of education and, and help really people to understand that, you know, dependency um, is a healthcare issue yeah. and that it should be dealt with through public health measures um, and, and not through criminalization. So, you know, we're hopeful that, um, you know, Tennessee can be, you know, maybe now, you know, at first we passed a law and we were, um, you know, we got so much negative uh, publicity um, because we passed the law. Um, so we're really hoping that we can, you know, really turn this around. We were able to bring together a really broad coalition of organizations and um, and, and health um, agencies across our state to, to come together to fight um, this bill. And, um, and so I hope that those relationships um, will continue and that we'll be able to work together to make sure that we are actually implementing policies um, that will help people, you know, achieve um, their, you know, greatest health um, abilities in their lives. And, you know, just, you know, men and women who are listening to this who are in Tennessee, you have the right and I would say the responsibility as individual citizens to call up your representatives, call up your congressmen and women and say, um, you know, I am a constituent in your district and I oppose this bill. I want you to oppose it too. And, you know, I, I get to do a lot of advocacy for the various organizations that I work with. And what we know is that um, direct phone calls, emails uh, to your congressmen and women's offices are extremely effective in changing policy. And all you have to do is pick up your phone, call and tell them what you think. Yeah, exactly. You know, we were really happy that we were able to defeat the bill mm-hmm. um, this session. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're absolutely going to be on the lookout for um, you know, if they are going to, in Tennessee, start using already existing laws um, to charge women um, after this law. So right now the law is set to expire um, the beginning of July mm-hmm. um, because they, they only passed the law temporarily and then we defeated the bill to make the law permanent. Right. Um, so it is important for people to know that the law is still in existence until um, the end of June. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, we're going to continue working with all the other organizations across the state um, to make sure that, you know, better practices are put in place. Um, and, you know, also uh, for Tennessee folks who are listening, um, you know, the uh, the finance committees are, are right now um, looking at all of the uh, appropriations bills. So all of the budget to see what is getting um, what's going to get funded. And there are several bills that have been introduced um, to increase um, treatment funding. Um, which is so such a dire need in mm-hmm. our state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is kind of what we have pivoted um, to support right now is, um, you know, we know that this is a problem and, and our lawmakers understand it's a problem. So let's do something to actually fix the problem and, um, and, and let treatment um, programs get more funding and get the resources they need to be able to provide um, the services that, that our citizens need. Absolutely. So, Allison, I want to ask you one last question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, and you can answer it in any way that you like. The question is this. 
Where are you in your life as a mom or in your relationship to motherhood? Well, uh, where I am is um, my son is about to be 13 in about two weeks, which is just unbelievable to me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I also have two younger daughters. Um, I have a daughter who is about to be six and, and one who's four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel very much in the midst of my life as a mother um, and, and I'm very quickly trying to uh, figure out how to navigate uh, being a mother to a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I just, you know, I'm, um, we're a very, uh, social justice, um, centered family and, um, and, and I, sometimes it's, it's a struggle, um, that I do work so much and especially during the legislative session, I have been traveling to Nashville much more frequently than I would like. Um, but I feel like, especially for my younger daughters, um, I feel like it's really important for them to see, um, me as their mother. Um, doing this kind of work so that people who um, who are also mothers and, and want to be mothers are able to do that um, in the best way that they can. Um, and also just to provide the model of um, people being able to make their own decisions about their bodies, um, yeah. regardless of, of what those are. Yeah, yeah. Well, Allison, this has been a really helpful conversation. I really, really appreciate your coming on and talking about it. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, great. We will talk again. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks so much. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. My mama said. Mama said. I went walking. Today's guest was Allison Glass. You can learn more about her work at Healthy and Free Tennessee. That's healthyandfreetn.org. You can learn more about my work on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. You can email me at gene at jeanfaulkner.com. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast is produced here in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thank you all for listening, for sharing, for subscribing for all the emails that I'm getting and the really, really good um, conversations that you guys are inspiring in me. Thanks again. Listen in next week. Talk to you later. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said.